pleased I've just looked up where Corinthian casuals are in the football pyramid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right down there was seventh tier, is it? Yeah, step three, I think I'd go with. Uh, my local, I've got loads of local clubs. I'm in Watford, so if I wanted to, I could go and see. Actually, I might look at Corinthian casuals this season. Wingate and Finchley, Enfield, Cheshire. Yeah, a couple of non-league clubs around here. A lot of people would suggest that, that um, non-league football is real football. That's uh, well, especially our team. You know, our, our lot are not paid. They're amateurs. Yeah. In a league full of professional and semi-professional teams, so it's um, it's quite a, a, an achievement, and, and we still carry that that old Corinthians um, ethos of uh, amateurism. Still champion there. I'm chairman of the Corinthians um, Casuals Youth Section of almost 30 teams uh, mm. this coming season. Our coaches subscribe to the same ethos of fair play and honesty and and that kind of stuff. And, and we know we coach the Corinthian spirit in all our teams, so. We are keeping alive the, the history of the club uh, as best we can in this uh, professional world. There's two types of football. The one that's going on at Wembley tonight with probably Rishi Sunak showing up and the camera panning to the Chancellor, who is um, a big football fan. Um, and then there's the one I like, which um, does away with video assistance. Um, I've been to some, actually, my great uncle Clive is an ambassador of St Albans City. And I'm, I'm more inclined to go to St Albans City than I am to Watford, although the football at Watford is better and we've got some phenomenal players. Um, and I'm sorry yeah, to mention yeah. Watford so early in connection with Corinthian casuals. I'm not even going to guess your age, Lou Walker. Is it Lou or Clue? Uh, yeah, go with Lou. I've, I've, I've struggled with Llewellyn uh, for uh, you know, my whole life, so it's um, uh, the abbreviation Lou is much easier for that, everyone to. No, and that is very good. For- Although I am, I'm not going to say Chlandercilio, but I do love some of these diphthongs in Welsh, which is a whole different yeah. language. Um, but yes, yeah, I have absolutely no Welsh blood in me whatsoever. I just had a, a literary, my father with the literary pretensions, and that was um, that was it. How interesting! Oh, which Llewellyn were you named after? Um, one of the Powys brothers, John Cowper Powys and Llewellyn Powys, and there's about three or four, and they're all poets. Rather obscure, but my father enjoyed that. As a, as a tangent, and there will be many tangents in this football library chat with Lou Walker, author of Andrew Watson, A Straggling Life, uh, which is one of the sui generisist. That's not a word. Sui generisist. One of his, one of the most unique books, which you can't really have books in the football library. But I read uh, a column about music, number ones, film, box office champs. And I suggested to the guy who does both columns, why don't you do fiction bestsellers? Because there are books that top the bestseller lists in the 70s. We don't hear of them at all now. And in, in 30 years, no one's going to read The Da Vinci Code. No one's going to read Twilight. Barely anyone's going to read literary fiction. But what I hope is that people read football literature because football goes on and on. It never stops. Watch the football, watch it move. Um, and your book is, um, it's a pamphlet or a little essay or a little history of Andrew Watson, who is a guy that every football historian has heard of, but is what colour skin? Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a yeah, brown skin. He was, a uh, uh, father was Scottish and his mother was woman of colour from Demerara in British Guyana. Guyana now, yeah. not, it was British Guyana at the time. So, I don't know what you'd say. Would you say of mixed heritage? He's of mixed heritage, definitely, yes. Yes. 
and he died in 1921. And I suppose that is why Pitch Publishing, the best little publisher in Britain, uh, put out this book, A Straggling Life, uh, in the centenary of his death. Uh, there is a GoFundMe target of £10,000 uh, set up. And this is to honour him because Andrew Watson has no descendants with a claim on his name. Yeah, well, that's true as well. I mean, really, it's more to do with the fact that, that other gentlemen of colour, uh, Arthur Wharton, Walter Tull, have got magnificent memorials. The, um, the, the uh, statue of um, Arthur Wharton at St George's, the home of English football, is, is just stunning. And the uh, monument to Walter Tull, which although isn't a, a statue of him, the monument is just beautiful. It's just uh, outstanding. And they have both got these, these great monuments, but Andrew Watson has nothing. Um, he will have, next year he will have a blue plaque in, in Kew, which, is, which I'm glad to, to it is going ahead. But for, for someone of his, his influence, he's far more important than anyone has ever really understood until recently. Uh, far more worthy of a, a, a national monument. There is talk of the SFA putting a monument outside Hampden to him. I started the, the GoFundMe page because I, I, at that time there was nothing. And unfortunately, it's ground to a halt. I can't seem to get much more than a couple of hundred pounds. But any, any money I get will go towards the fund that will produce that monument. The, the thing is, is that Andrew Watson was just the most influential Person. But when he died in 1921, there was no obituaries. There was one obituary in the local paper. No one really knew, remembered him. He was lost to history. I mean, his story has only been really uncovered in the last 20 years. Um, Scottish Football Museum, who uh, uh, hold the, uh, a lot of the uh, SFA archives, Jed O'Brien and Tommy Malcolm were looking through the pictures of, of, of the old days, and they, they swore they were looking at a man of colour. But uh, there was no references to it anywhere. You know, no one really was, was sure. So they carried on with their work. And then later they found a reference in a newspaper article that Watson was of West Indian descent. And then it struck them that, wow, this is, this is really important. I mean, this, this guy was playing football in, in the you know, 1870s, for goodness sakes. And, and then they looked him up and he was playing football for Scotland. And he captained Scotland. He captained Scotland in the two most important fixtures that I think have ever been played internationally. Uh, both against England, one at the Oval in 1881, where Scotland beat England 6-1, and then the following year in Hamden, when Scotland beat England 5-1. Yeah, we forget about that. No one talks about those, do they? <laughs> well, the thing is, is that the, the FA had sat up and they, they were forced to, to take notice of the fact that Scotland were producing and playing better football than they were. And they, they, they wanted to do something about it. Um, and the, the upshot of it was is that they identified that Queen's Park were the main Scottish team at the time. Queen's Park pretty much founded football in Scotland. But Queen's Park also made up most of the Scottish national team. So the English FA decided that what they needed to do was create a team in the Queen's Park mould where all the, the best English amateurs could meet and play regular games and get to know each other's game and get to, to, to develop an understanding, which is what apparently they felt the Scots had. So they created the Corinthians. This is the only team, I think, in, in, in history that has been created by the governing body. But it was created by the English FA. And one of the very first uh, things they did was to, to uh, entice Andrew Watson to come and play for Corinthians. He came down, actually, to play for Swifts, um, EC Bambridge, 
the, the top goal scorer for England at the time, de- formed a, a friendship with Andrew Watson and, and then managed to entice him down to, to England. And, he, and, he, and Bambridge had, had aspirations of winning the FA Cup, so he thought he could fill his team full of away players and, and, uh, and, and off he would go. But he also, uh, uh, Watson came down and he played for Swiss, but he also played for Pilgrims. But he also played in the first three seasons for um, Corinthians. And what Watson did was, Watson was, was, was educated in the Scottish style of football, um, which was the passing game, the tactical game, the, far more advanced than the English game, which was kick and rush or dribbling the one person charging down the field with the ball at his feet, uh, with half his team surrounding him. Um, Watson brought down this, this new what they called scientific football and he helped change English football. He was the first Scottish professor to come down to England and spread the word. And he played for Swifts, which was full of great English players. Corinthians, many of those, those players who played in Corinthians went on to play for the national team. And, and then Corinthians themselves were a phenomenon at the time. I mean, it's, again, still strictly amateur. And they took, the, they took football around the world, took it across Europe, and took it to all continents. They were the first team to leave Europe, the first football team to leave Europe, and they went to South Africa, and they went to South Africa three times. But they also went to the US and Canada, and they went to Brazil over several occasions. In 1910, when they went down, it inspired the creation of Quentin Paulista. And if anybody's seen that, the movie, uh, sort of the documentary, um, Brothers in Football, they will understand what that, that moment in history uh, meant to Brazilian football. So, so you're um, saying that without Andrew Watson, there would have been no Pele? Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying Andrew Watson was a contributing factor to the development of football, so it became what it is today, the beautiful game. Um, there is a definite connection between Andrew Watson, the Corinthians, and Brazilian football, definitely. I mean, the, the man, it's, been, it's, it's debatable, but Charles Miller is, is credited as being the man who played, uh, who, who took football to Brazil and made football in Brazil what it is. And Charles Miller played for Corinthians as a schoolboy. He stepped in when Corinthians were a man short when they were playing in Southampton. And he was so good that the Corinthians, when they, when they left, they gave, him, they gave him two footballs and said, take those to Brazil with you. And he did. And from that, the Brazilian football. But you know, the, the, this, this Corinthian thing, you know, this Andrew Watson thing, it's a thread that runs through the development of the, of the of association football around the world. Yeah. Corinthians went to, to places like Sweden and Austria and Denmark, introduced football, played football against, against local teams, introduced a new way of playing and the proper way of playing with, in the sense that it was about respect and fair play. That kind of, that kind of, of, of uh, honesty in sport, which is still in the DNA of British sports, men and women around the world, and it's still expected of British men and women around the world. It's, it's a Corinthian thing. Um, it, came, you know, it came as part of their, their rather patronisingly, they called it their, their, their missionary um, work with football around the world. Rolling it back, you go back to Scotland and how Scotland developed um, this new sort of football outside the public school game. I mean, if you look at any, any football history, it'll say that Football developed in England, in English public schools, um, and it normally completely ignores the fact that it didn't. Um, it completely ignores the fact that Scotland was developing a, a version of the game uh, long before um, the public schools got it. Um, 
it was refined by members of a, of a, a YMCA or, or some club that turned into the Queen's Park Football Club. And, and it, it developed in isolation for, for uh, most of the time. I remember this was back in the 1870s. Transport was there. There was there was trains, but not many people could afford it. So mm-hmm. most stayed where they were. People stayed in villages, never left villages all their life. They were agricultural labourers or whatever. So when the train system started to spread around the country and people had, had were able to move from one place to the other, the style of Scottish football began to spread south. And when it did, the professional clubs or the pseudo-professional clubs up north would recruit most of the Scottish players of any any quality. Yeah, Sunderland um, and Preston in particular. Yeah, Preston, Bolton Wanderers, you, you name it. I mean, Preston once, I think Burnley put out a team once, which was, which was all Scottish. But they came south for the money. They came south for the jobs and, and that kind of stuff. They didn't come south with any altruistic view of sharing the game, you know, the amateur game with, 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 with the world. Uh, and consequently, when the Scots came to the Northern clubs, they kicked the, the, the local uh, players out. They replaced them. Bloody foreigners coming over here, stealing our jobs. Yeah, stealing our, stealing our game. Yeah, kind of, kind of thing. But Watson was the first of, 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 of many Queen's Park and non-Queen's Park Scottish players who came to the south of England to play for Corinthians and, 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 and other clubs. And that really did change English football. Well, yeah, for... because I, I imagine the professional game in the, or the semi-pro game in the 1880s then led in 1888 to the Big Bang moment, which was the Football League's formation. and the These yeah. are the days of Victorian-era organised soccer, and I, I would love to read a play or read a, something where you have Lord Kinnaird of Eton, of the Old Etonians, uh, playing against Corinthians, uh, because I think the only time Corinthians lost when Andrew Watson was in the team was against Old Etonians. Uh, no, he lost... <laughs> Andrew Watson was good, but he wasn't that good. All right. Uh, well, I don't know why I read uh, because there is a website, andrewwatsoncorinthian.co.uk, and I think it said 1 7 drew yeah. 6 lost 1, and I thought that would be the lost 1. Yeah, no, it, um, that's actually a site that I set up. To, to, I, I had a lot of stuff in that I'd, I'd researched for the book that, for various reasons, didn't get included in the book. And so I wanted to publish that information online anyway to make it publicly available. Is I know he lost 7 0 in one of the games. I remember that. And the, the thing about the Corinthians was that the first two seasons weren't really up to much. Um, Paul Jackson, who was the man who drove the Corinthians through to, their, to the, the new century, he, he wasn't in charge of the first two seasons. So they were, they were a bit sloppy. The first season was a very strange season for Corinthians and it didn't capture anyone's imagination. Uh, and then when the guy who was running it at the time, a guy called AJ Secretary, when he, when he decided to go to Canada to set up a farm, Par stepped in, but it was too late to form any, any big fixtures for the second season. So they only played three and they won all of those. Um, and then when Par got his teeth fully into the, the club was the 1883-84 season. And that's when he managed to get to, to begin really that phenomena that was uh, the Corinthian club. But um, I tell you what I've done. I've read seven wins, six losses and one draw as seven wins six draws and one loss. So you're, oh. co- you're completely correct. I'm completely wrong. Let the record show that Andrew Watson actually lost six games as a Corinthian. Well, well see, what happened again, another that this makes Watson even more significant, is that Watson, Watson played on both sides of the coin. He played for the non-Par Jackson Corinthian 
Canadians, and he played for Par Jackson. So I think you'll probably find that his losses were more to do with the two first two seasons of the Corinthians, where they weren't really anything special. They didn't really stand out, and they didn't capture anyone's imagination. But Par took over. He included Watson in the squad, and it was I mean one of the very first games that Watson played for uh, for Par was against um, Blackburn Rovers. Now, Blackburn Rovers have just, I think they've just won uh, the FA Cup. They were going to win it again. They were the best team, bar none, in the land. And this uh, this, this fixture they'd, they'd arranged with a team of posh southerners called the Corinthians, they, no one really paid much attention. And yet it, the team was full of fantastic amateur players and university players. And they went up to, to, to Blackburn, expected to be thumped, uh, and they ended up um, beating the FA Cup holders eight one, and it, it was gobsmacking. People couldn't understand what was what was what had happened. This was the best team in the land being beaten by a bunch of amateurs. It sounds now. it sounds like when Uruguay beat Brazil in nineteen fifty, it's such a complete upsetting of the odds that it must have really yeah, shaken absolutely. Blackburn. Well, it, it, it kind of did. Um, they never had a really good series of results against uh, against uh, Corinthians, but. That was the arrival of the Corinthians. After that, the, the, the people were, were <coughs> people were really interested in the Corinthians. They wanted to come along, and, and they, so the crowds were good. And so um, Parr realised that the future lay in this amateur representative of the English FA playing all the professional teams uh, or pseudo professional teams until 1885 when mm. professionalism was legit, legitimised. But it was always this this the southern gentlemen amateurs unpaid amateurs uh, going on tour in the north playing the Blackburn Rovers the Blackburn Olympics the Preston North Ends you know and there was this David versus versus Goliath uh, set up every time they played up in north and so it, it, it drew huge crowds more often than not I would I would say Corinthians failed but they but their, their reputation didn't they did have some marvelous marvelous um, wins some of the best teams at, at the time. But they did get beaten as well quite often. And Parr, Parr would organise these these Christmas tours where he'd play seven games in eight days. So they'd start out in the first couple of days. I mean, when they played when they beat Blackburn Rovers, that was the first first game of the season, first game of the tour. But at the end of the tour, uh, they were losing to Preston North End, and you know the players were injured or, or hurt or tired or you know. So it was it was a bit unrealistic to expect the superhuman effort from the, this this team. Did they even but, have a physio? Just a completely different world. And as you were talking about all this, I remembered that because it's the 1880s, there's no wireless, there's no television, there's no Pathé newsreel at the cinema. You had to either see it in the flesh 
or as a compromise, read about it in the newspapers. Now, I don't know if you were able to pour over some microfiche in order to read about match reports. And they were reports because football criticism, as we know, didn't exist until Brian Glanville invented it in the 1950s, at least in the English language, which is why this football library, um, which is why you get, Lou Walker, your football library card with Brian Glanville upon it, because we all walk (laughs) in Brian Glanville's massive... 89-year-old shoes. Um, but yeah, you had to read about it in the paper and then go, oh, I'm rather fascinated about this. When I get a spare Saturday, I'll go and see Corinthians. But of course, it was it must have been the talk of the town when they were in, oh, I don't know, Preston. Well, well, I mean, I think, I think you know, following on that, that topic of, of, of communication and, 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 and transport, I mean, you think of the job that Paul Jackson managed to do. He managed to have 11 players in one place at one time to play a game of football. And anyone who's run a football team, uh, a competitive football team in any league anywhere, whether it be children's or adult, will know how difficult it is to organise people. And that's with the use of texts and emails and telephones. Imagine when you've only got a telegram or face-to-face or a horse to get you to their house. I mean, to organise a football team and a, a travelling football team uh, might have been easier because they were all together at least. But but when, when Quinkins played in London when they played at Queen's Club, he had to get messages to each of the players who were selected. Then he had to receive those messages, return messages, say whether they're available or not. And then he had to organise a team and put a team out there that could take on the best team in the land. Doing that in those days, that's a headache. Logistics, as you know, and I've just, I've got this image of you as the chair of uh, the Corinthian Casuals youth team. Corinthian Casuals, by the way, two separate teams, Corinthians and Casuals, much like Inverness, Caledonia, Thistle or Dagenham and Redbridge, one of the great hybrid teams of football in the UK. But yes, so you, what's the kind of structure with the youth team? You work at the top and then do all the youth teams have their own coaches? Yeah, well, we're, we're all volunteers. I mean, I've been a volunteer more years than I can, can, I can bear to remember. Yeah, well, that's, that's how it works with the voluntary organisation. You you, you have to abide by the, 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 the laws of the game. You have to be members of, the, of an FA. And you have to, all, all, the, all the coaches and all the managers have to have CRCs and child welfare qualifications and FA qualifications, minimum FA qualifications. So the administration is, is the thing that, that is the hard part about running up the youth section. Releasing the, the coach to go and train with the players and then play that's the that's the role that I play is is making sure they've got everything in place. They're they're covered you know, when when it comes to to governance, and they go out and they oh actually get getting the kit there, booking the pitches, you know it's all all of this stuff. So yeah, each of our teams has a manager and a coach who who reasonably autonomously manage the team uh, and uh, and coach the team across ages from under six to next season we'll have an under twenty one. So we've got all ages. Black and white uh, stripes. No, we wear the old uh, casuals colours of uh, pink and chocolate, pink and brown. Ooh. It used to be in It's now in a, in a, in a far more, more modern design. But it was the colours of, of one of the founders' racing uh, teams uh, back in the 1800s. I called Tom, um, Tom Blenk, uh, Blenkine, who was one of the uh, founders, and he had a, a series of horses. He was behind the foundation of... Kempton Park, he was on the board there as well. So when the club realised it was never going to keep up with professionalism, um, 
we needed to find ways of saving money. And one of the ways of saving money was to have a kit that is completely and utterly, it's a singular taste, should we say. Yes, it really is chocolate brown. Chocolate brown and, and, and bright pink, uh, not day glow pink. But it was, the thing was, is that we couldn't afford to have an 018, an away uh, strip. So having a kit like that meant that um, we only needed one kit per season. This is our, this is our, our senior team. And, uh, uh, of course, we never had any clashes with anybody for, for years. Um, now we're a little bit more uh, flush. I think we're, we are supposed to have a, a second kit. We have a, a traditional white and navy uh, kit that was a traditional uh, Corinthian kit, which influenced the kit that I hope we're going to see tonight when England play Denmark. So you know, Corinthians influenced that. Corinthians also influenced the kit that Real Madrid wear, would you believe? Oh. Uh, Used to wear white shirts and, and navy navy shorts until, uh, as a, as a homage to the, a visit by the Corinthians. But then one of their their, uh, their owners of the Real Madrid back in the day believed that the navy shorts were unlucky, so he made them wear white shorts instead. Probably Bernabeu. I don't know. I don't know. Who. Well, one. I've just had a look at the Facebook official Corinthian Casuals FC. Do you know how many people like the page? Yeah. Well, you know that. That's, 99.9% of them are Brazilian. Because, uh, <laughs> because they don't Brazil, know. It's the, Brazilians, it's the Brazilian connection. I, I, I really, to, to understand the club and the history of the club, you need to see a movie by Chris Watney called Brothers in Football. Uh, it, was, it was on BT Sport. I think it's still on BT Sport, but it, it, it may be on YouTube somewhere now. It's, it's, about, it's about the trip that the club made at the invitation of Corinthian Paulista to Brazil in 2015 uh, to play their first team, which every time I say that, it just makes me laugh because I know who, who the, the, the first team were or, or are at uh, Corinthians and their teachers and their builders and their, and their professional coaches and, uh, sorry, their uh, personal trainers and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, they got invited down to play these, these multi-million dollar uh, uh, players for this, the, the, one of the best clubs in Brazil. Uh, in the stadium, the World Cup uh, final was in a few years ago. So it was—it's it's a wonderful story about how 1910 is when the Corinthians visited Brazil. They inspired the foundation of Corinthian Paulista. They were going to go back in 1914, but on the way there, the First World War broke out, so they came back. Didn't they go back they were, in 2010? Uh, they went back in 2010 and 2008. But this is the first time that they, that the Corinthian Casuals first team have met. Uh, Quinton Paulista's first team. It was it was to play that game that wasn't played in the, in 1914, oh. and it was the story of the 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 number of Corinthians players and ex players and Casuals players and ex players who gave their lives in the in the First World War. Um, and as far as we know, that the number of 108 so far uh, is the highest amount of uh, of losses in, of any association football club anywhere in the world. I mean, I think that's just a shocking statistic anyway. But it's about, it encompasses that, it encompasses the history of the club, um, and then it films the visit. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on that uh, on that uh, tour, who shall say. And um, I couldn't believe it was, the, the, the club is adored in Sao Paulo, absolutely adored. We got off the plane, and there was about two or 3,000 people waiting for us at the, at the, at the airport with drums and, and trumpets and they were dancing and cheering and the whole week we were there 
it was it was we were like treated like celebrities is it not disappointing and, i know this is a american presidents get this but every time you walk into a room you hear da 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 da, da, da. was it not distressing to come back to england and not have 3000 people with drums and songs yeah no, it wasn't depressing it was it was a memory that yeah, these sure. players had carry with us for that for the you know the, the rest of our lives to know that at least somewhere in the world, the club is loved as much as the people who work for it and volunteer for it and play for it. And I mean, do you, no, sorry, do you get no, Brazilians coming over to watch the Casuals yeah, play? All the time, all the time. It, it, some of them, you, they come during the during the week and and they walk and because where it's a very small ground uh, we have and it's not very glamorous whatsoever. Sometimes they come over and they burst into tears or they fall on their knees and kiss the pitch and. You know, it really is. It's it's a it's a worship. They make a pilgrimage to casuals' mm. uh, grounds and to honour the club that they support. Well, um, it's even more call- embarrassing that I haven't been, and it's only across town. Season tickets one hundred and sixty pounds, or at least they were in twenty twenty. Uh, if you work for the NHS or are not an adult. Uh, of a certain age, it's £99 if you're a student, £40. And that Brothers in Football documentary, you can find it on BT Sport. It was first aired at the uh, beginning of 2020. And it is in the Football Library because I do allow documentaries. Uh, and do you do the club personally have a very good relationship with the Corinthians-Sao Paulo side? Yes, we do. I mean, well, the thing is, is that Corinthians uh, Paulista is always chopping and changing. They're going on a pretty... They're getting better, but as soon as they start getting a series of bad results, out goes the chairman or the, the way. And, and it changes over and over again. They're, they're absolutely passionate about their club in Sao Paulo, and they do everything they can to make it as popular as, as they can. I mean, there is one thing that I, I think I want to say in preparation for tonight's game. This football's coming home song. It's not an English game, and and I don't care what what Netflix says. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, they, it's nice and easy it, it, to, to say it's an English game, but it's not. It's a British game. And when when we sing football's coming home, we all waving the flag of St George, and and it kind of it kind of irks me. It just excludes the influence of people like Andrew Watts. Well, have you seen footage of the nineteen sixty six final? They're all carrying Union flags. It's not the St George's Cross. They're actually waving the Union Jack, as it used to be called. Yeah. And no wonder well, Alistair I mean, Campbell appeared on TV this morning with bagpipes, because it is a British game. Yeah, it's a British game. And, and when, when we sing football's coming home, it should be inclusive of Scotland and Ireland and Wales. We should be using the Union flag, but unfortunately over the last 50 years it's been used for uh, unsavoury... Uh, uh, it's become an unsavoury symbol for, for nationalism and right-wing fascism and, and anybody who wants to just to be basically obnoxious. So it's not... Not such a great symbol anymore, so... Maybe we should use um, the Corinthians flag. We don't have one, I don't think. Well, there is a... uh, I'm looking at the Twitter handle. uh, 30,000 followers. I should say there are 140,000 Facebook followers. Uh, But there is uh, Corinthians, Casuals. uh, There's the emblem, 1882-83. Just trying to... Well, the motto is to become one, basically. A duobus unum, yeah. which I love. So if, if you're actually going to have a tune, it's got to be the Spice Girls to become one. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of this. Um, it's got red and blue on it. And uh, you're in the middle of a series of pre-season friendlies. Will you be going to Chipstead, Hawley Town, Three Bridges or South Park? Or will you content yourself with watching home games against Winchester City on Tuesday, the 27th of July? And SC Rovers... 
uh, on the seventh. I make what I can, but my free time is now taken up with with uh, with uh, writing books. I'm afraid, um, and articles, um, and I'm behind, so I need to to use as much free time as possible. To I'm publishing a book either next year or the year after called Par and the Corinthians: uh, The Real History of the Corinthian Football Club. That's par spelled P A, Pa. Yeah, Pa, yeah. as in as in uh, as in father. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it was a nickname he had. Uh, it's Nicholas Lane, uh, uh, commas, and Par Jackson. He, he, was, he, got, he picked up the name from uh, uh, when he was on tour once, and it stuck. Um, but he's also the, uh, a very uh, a very clever man when it came to, to writing the history of the club in the way that he wanted the history to be written. Uh, and that needs to be shed. And so that's what I'm, I'm doing. I'm trying to, to remove Par's handiwork and tell the story of the club, uh, uh, the club's success, and, and how it um, it uh, um, managed to do what it did. And there um, are because... several famous figures from Corinthians. Um, Paul Clement, who became Carlo Ancelotti's number two. I don't know if he'll go back to Madrid, because he was there last time as a number two. Yeah. I didn't know. Uh, have you met Paul, round and about? I haven't met Paul, no. He's, uh, he's been in... in uh... In Spain, I think, for for, for a, a long time, and uh, no, he's, he, I've, I've not met him, but I have met Alan Pardew, and I have met Martin Tyler, and and Nicky Stewart, and Alex Stewart, and Ram Prakash, and you know there are there's, there's quite a few hate to hate the word, but there's quite a few celebrities that ha, that have been involved with the club, um, and and I think that Nicky Stewart is probably the, the finest president uh, we're ever going to have for his own personal sporting achievements, both in football and in cricket, being honoured with the name of the stand at, at, at the Oval, I think, is, is is very apt, considering Corinthians' relationship with the Oval in the early days of football. But yeah, there's, there, 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 are, there are a few out there. I mean, I see... I see oh, sorry, no, I, I, I'm, there's a whole other topic, and I'm not sure I'm going to start my open that one. That Good, yet. well done. Yeah, please, no libel. <laughs> it's a no, the football library is a no-libel zone, uh, and that's why we've got Roy Keane guarding the door. Because if you can get past, yeah, Roy Keane can that. sniff out the slander and the libel at 20 paces. Yes, sir. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll do it. I do want to ask, before we return to Andrew Watson for the end of this, this season in the Isthmian Prem, uh, Corinthian casual starts off and we hope the season is finished because the last two seasons have been wipeouts. I yeah. guess the rival would be Kingstonian? Well, Kingstonians share our ground. It's not really a rival. I mean, our history of Kingstonians goes back till after the First World War, when Casuals and Corinthians were two, still two separate clubs, when they tried to put the teams back together again after the First World War, but having lost so many players, uh, it took a while. But Casuals got, got a, a team together, and they played at Kingstonian's ground in Kingston. Uh, the ground share there, they were offered. offered the, um, and, they were, and, and that was a, a service that we have been able to return over the last few years, when Kingstonians have lost their Kings Meadow Stadium in Kingston was bought by Chelsea Ladies and Academy. Um, they came and have been sharing our ground. I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what they're going to do, but Kingstonians are far too much of a historic club to, to uh, be allowed to fold. And, and I'm pretty sure the directors there are doing all they can to, to re-establish their, their, their own ground somewhere and, and looking for, for the money to do it, which is the, obviously going to be the... If even half of the fans who went to Stamford Bridge to complain about Chelsea playing in the Super League, if even half of them appeal to 
the soul of football because these clubs have to survive. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there's been a couple of times in the in my tenure as as on the executive of the club where we've had to vote on whether we want to continue next season. How much does um, it cost to run a year? Oh, goodness me! I I have, I have no idea, but we've never got enough. <laughs> yeah, it is never enough. Well, thank God you don't pay your players. Um, but yeah, it's unless you have a benefactor. I know Cray Wanderers, I think, have a benefactor. They soared through the leagues and they're now in the Isthmian Prem. But they, these are not huge names. I think the biggest name in this division, Lewis, because they're quite uh, modern in that there's equal pay for the men's and women's team. But there, I guess the standard of semi-pro is pretty good in that division. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, you look at teams like Worthing, who are a team on the way up. Uh, they've got sponsorship now. They're, they're, I think they've just put down a 3G pitch. They're attracting players from upper divisions. Uh, they're going to be on their way. I mean, Dorking Wanderers, too. Well, they, they got promoted the other season. Um, again, it, it's, it's, it's not about whether you win or lose or how you play the game. It's about if you've got a benefactor, really. Yeah. And... Uh, don't have one currently, so but we do all right with with the sponsorship. The gates aren't enormous. We get between a hundred and two hundred, sometimes three hundred for a, a home game. Three hundred if it's a cup game, probably. If it's raining, you can halve that number. Yeah, it's it's very very difficult to to, to um, run a club. And as I said, it, we've a couple of times we've been very close to folding, um, and it's only through the, the de- determined ambition. Uh, of the volunteers at the club that uh, we've managed to, uh, to to continue. And one of those staff, I'm just looking at the who's who, and there are about 100 names here, but the name Dominic Bliss leaps out because he has written, uh, if not one book, then two. I haven't spoken to Dominic yet. Uh, did he write the book on Erbstein about um, yes, Hungary in the 40s? Yeah, he did. And, and uh, he also helped, um, well, he was the main driver behind... The, uh, setting up the Erbstein tournament in, in, uh, uh, that was in Budapest season before last. Yes, which where, I learned that uh, Corinthians won. Yeah, they won, but they, they were playing for the original trophy given to the Budapest club uh, by the Corinthians back in the 19-something or others. Wow, so you won it back. Yeah, well, <laughs> it didn't leave, it didn't leave uh, Budapest. It oh, stayed okay. there. They were a replica, but that, the cup was, the original cup is, is, is too valuable to to, to leave um, the offices of the, of the, of the club that's there. Um, yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of people who are involved with the club who some people will find surprising. I mean, Chris Watney for, is you know, um, a director in his own right. Um, um, Alex Stewart is, is obviously is, is um, more often than not in the stands on match day. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a funny little club. As, as are most non-league clubs, I, I, I might add, and most non-league clubs have got groups of people who, who live and breathe them and give their time for, for nothing, and they're just happy to see a game on a Saturday afternoon. And those people have a special corner in heaven for them, I think. Ah, this is a... Watford have... Um, there's a chap called Ollie Wicken who produces an audio series called Hornet Heaven, um, which keeps the flame of the pre-Pozzo era or the pre-Elton era even alive, because you... But for the grace of Elton John, Gino Pozzo, etc., Watford might well be hanging down because we're a town of a hundred thousand people. We're not Manchester. We're not West London. Um, 
we're, we're the provinces. So it's amazing that Watford have a Premier League team. What kind of football does James Bracken play with the first team and which first team players should we look out for this season? Oh, um, you're not you're talking to the wrong person here. Uh-huh. I'm not... I'm, um, Isn't there a Corinthians way? Don't you just play four 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 two all the way down the youth teams? James, uh, actually, James is. We're, we're, we are so lucky to have James. I mean, he, he really is on his way up in the football pyramid, and um, the fact that he's here for another season is outstanding. But the football he plays is effective. The last couple of seasons, loops, couple of seasons he's been in charge. We've made the playoffs before he arrived. We were constantly fighting against relegation. So I mean, you just have to look at the way the way the way he plays is is I'm, I, I'm sure that somebody who understands football coaching um, at, at a high level uh, can explain it. But um, everyone's just happy with the results, really. And I will I will look down. I, I do look at the non-league results just to see how Borehamwood and St Albans and Hemel are doing. But Corinthian Casuals, I wish you well uh, for this hopefully pickup season. I bet you're excited to have a full capacity in August. In August, well, I'm not sure we'll ever have a full capacity. If Brazil and England can fly between countries, I think you can fill it with Brazilians. Yeah, well, that would be good. Well, I mean, it'd be nice just to fill it with locals. Most of the people in, in our local area don't even know we exist. Um, a shame. We, shame. Um, it is a shame, it is a shame. But we are hidden away somewhat, which makes it a very uh, attractive area for sports. But not something that you go, oh, I didn't know that was there, because you're never going to be off the beaten track that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be led by the hands, really, to, to, to find out where we play. Yeah, but, but yes, we are. there's constantly uh, um, activity in the media trying to raise our profile. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 there was a lot of media activity around, around Watson and around the, the Straggling Life book, um, mostly in Scotland, unfortunately. I can't seem to get the English media engaged with the importance of Watson. Um, I think Paul Hayward, speak to Paul Hayward, who's writing a book on the FA. I think he'll be very interested in this story. Because I said to him the other week, I think you'd better hurry up with this book you're writing about the history of the England football team, because we might well win this tournament. And we're speaking on the 7th of July, which is the day that England played Denmark. Yeah, now you've jinxed us. Goodness. Oh, I want Denmark to win. The Christian Eriksen's fairy tale story. From the the horrors of that to... And also, they're oh, really God. decent. I remember, I remember as a, as, as a schoolboy watching England go two up against Germany, only to lose three two. Well, because he took Germany. Bobby Charlton off because he was an Good idiot. Boy. So, so I've had oh God, how many years of watching England snatch defeat Feet from the, the jaws. jaws? Yeah, and and I cannot, I will not allow myself to get excited about tonight's game. If we get through, and when the final whistle blows, then I'll probably go nuts. But I'm not going to get excited about it. I've been let down too often. And, and I think most people in this country feel the same way. Well, I think the, uh, the, the good thing about this tournament is that the literature that will come out of it about identity and belonging, and I'm fascinated about the Muslim and the non-white experience of what it means to fall in love with what Marcus and Raheem are doing, not just for the team, yeah. but for the whole country. I think it's unbelievable yeah. what's going on. So... Um, I know the um, the prime. I actually got sent from a friend who is Libyan, and she sent me a picture of Boris holding up his England shirt, and I just went clown. That's not what we want. We want heroes like Andrew Watson, who actually was a university dropout, 
So would you encourage yeah, people to drop out of university as he did at Glasgow and pursue a football career which went to, it was the captain of Queen's Park, as you say, came down to Corinthians uh, and then spread, helped spread the gospel. Although um, he yeah. retired really by 1880. When did he retire? 86? He retired twice. He retired um, about 86 and then came back into the game and played for Bootle uh, in Liverpool for a season got his uh, engineering uh, um, qualifications and went to sea on liners. And that's, mo- that's pretty much where the, the world lost sight of him. He spent 10 or, 10 or 12 years going backwards and forwards across the Atlantic. Um, and people forgot about him. And so when he moved to Kew in London, um, uh, around the beginning of the First World War, that was the, I, I think that was the final separation. Anyone in Scotland who knew where he was still believed that he was still in Liverpool. Um, and when he moved to, to Kew, that everyone lost track of him. His grave was was people thought he died and died in Australia or in Madras. Uh, I think there was a somebody said that that, that um, it was reported he died in Madras. They they you know they recalled him, um, but he was lost for a hundred years really, um, which is heartbreaking. But it's not that way anymore. He's going to be taught in schools. Uh, it's going to become part of the curriculum. I hope. Because yes. he is, his story is, is, is uh, astonishing as it, as it is uplifting. I'm sure you followed uh, Bill and David's project, Football's Black Pioneers, about the first black player oh, yes. to play for each club. Is Andrew there? No, because he, A, um, he didn't play for a professional club. Um, Bootle went out of, uh, became professional uh, after he left. Um, no, it, it was professional when he joined, but he, he joined as mm-hmm. an amateur. And Bootle, that, that, that folded in 1892. Uh, there's no clubs that he played for that are still uh, currently functioning apart from Quinton Casuals. But we are, we are now the, the embodiment of two clubs, Corinthians and Casuals, who merged in 1939. We're not a league. Uh, he did, any, any of the teams he played for were not league teams. Um, so uh, that, that, the book, um, uh, was it Bill Owen's book, it is about the first black player to play for all the league teams, which is, again, it's a marvellous, astonishing book. I mean, the stories in it are just just unbelievable. But no, Watson doesn't appear in it, unfortunately. Well, because he's got a whole book to himself, Andrew Watson, A Straggling Life, uh, which celebrates the life of the man who died in 1921. Uh, he married twice. He lost his first wife just before Corinthians played the first game. Um, which yeah. gives it a human element. Uh, and then this website, andrewwatsoncorinthian.co.uk, lists all his descendants who are known about, none of whom uh, had kids themselves. None of the children we know of, and none of his children had any children. There's one, there's one hole in our knowledge, and that's his, second, his first daughter, Agnes, Agnes Maud, who was born in Glasgow, who spent a whole life looking after her grandmother, grandmother who was senile um but she lived until she was like 90 something so poor agnes maud spent most of her life um looking after her and when she died in 1915 agnes disappeared now that could mean she died too or she emigrated or could mean any number of things but we can't find her um and we don't know if she had she married and had children but uh, the, the three others we we know for sure they didn't have any children and it's a fascinating human story uh, and I'm pleased, Lou Walker, that you have written it. Uh, finally, jazz. 
Uh, I listened to this thing on uh, Radio 4 about Louis Armstrong. There's a pub named after him in, is it Dover or Dorset? Because even though he was the biggest jazz star in the world, uh, he would still honour these commitments in Batley and in the provinces. So I just wanted to ask uh, jazz, modern jazz, do you listen to that or do you prefer the trad and bebop and difficult jazz of the 50s and 60s? Goodness, good question. Because, um, of course, West London is where jazz clubs really came into their own. My focus in, in jazz was, was Charlie Parker, um, Bird, and Miles Davis said you can spell jazz in four, in four words, Louis Armstrong, Charlie Parker. And you just bringing up Louis Armstrong was just... I mean, the thing about Louis Armstrong and, and Bird is Europe treated them like artists. At home in America, they were treated like black workers, black entertainers, when they came to Europe. And that's why a lot of, a lot of jazz musicians stayed in, in Europe, uh, in places like Stockholm and in Paris. It's because they were treated like artists and they were allowed to, to develop their art uh, and their colour didn't matter, which is very much the same thing with Andrew Watson. His colour didn't matter. Everyone was just a standard of how good he was at football. Yeah. So bring that but no, I mean, I listen to all sorts, but there is a resurgence and a wonderful resurgence of jazz in Britain at the moment. We are producing the best jazz in the world at, at this current time. And, I, and I, I highly recommend people to to experiment with Spotify and look for UK jazz or, or such and listen to what's going on because it's a whole new movement that is being developed. And there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, um, artists out there. Yeah, because we're fostering it. I used to go and sit in the jazz bar in Edinburgh, um, which is in itself a, um, just a fantastic place to be. And I would just sit and listen to it because as a classical musician, I'm a violin and also guitar. But seeing the harmony and the improvisation within an eight-bar tune and get sticking on the one and all of that, it's an art in itself, and having seen the movie La La Land, uh, which did have its problems, uh, I John Legend. John Legend isn't jazz, he's like a black buble. Um, but I'm sure that there is a film to be made, a documentary to be made about British jazz, because we know about it. Um, Sons of Kemet, Nubia Garcia, you can name hundreds more. Um, um, Roller Trio as well. And Jacob Collier, in a way, is jazz. Um, but... And, uh, I, I would I would suggest there's a movie to to be made about Ronnie Scott's life. Oh How yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a book that's just come out. Well, I mean, there's there's a movie there as well, and I think it would be fa- absolutely fascinating because there was a period in in not only was he born to, to uh, poor Jewish parents, um, but there was a period when he um, got work on the Queen Elizabeth while the liners going backwards and forwards oh. between Southampton, and New York. Um, where some of the greatest jazz, British jazz musicians used to get jobs in the band so they could go to New York to go to 52nd Street to watch Dizzy, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, et cetera, et cetera, learn the jazz from there and then bring it home. But they're having to play this awful dance music all the way across the Atlantic when all they wanted to do was experiment with, 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 with the music. I think, oh, yeah. I, think it, I can just see it's a wonderful passage in a movie. Um, uh, about that period, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it would be, a, be um, and then when the Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club started up, I mean, if you read some of his, his some of his biographies and the stories of the things that happened at the club, um, the Cray Twins and, and all that kind of, I mean, it's just, it, it, his life is a movie. It needs to be done. You can only body 
Get him on it. Who plays Andrew Watson in a film of his life? Oh, my goodness. That's a really good good question. I, I, I don't know. Oh, I know. John Boyega? Something um, like that. I don't know. I'm so, I, it's, a, it's a question that I don't think I'm ever going to be able to answer because having spent you know, five or six years researching and being you know, so cl- locked away in, in Andrew Watson's um, um, life, um, I think I've got an idea in my head of what he of what he looks like and it's stuck and it's the, those 10 pictures we have of him um, and, and that's all that's all and I can't think of anybody who would be able to do to do that I mean they, we, we still don't know very much enough about him to be able to to, to form a character sketch um, which is which is such a shame I mean in reality you look at the I don't know the, the history of the universe it's only a hundred and what hundred years ago 120 years ago you could have you could have watched him play football 140 years ago, you could have watched a play before. So I don't know, but that's again, it's a, it's it would make a good a, a good movie, and I, I and it has crossed my mind, and I have spoken to people like Chris Watney, the film director, saying we should do a movie about this guy. But and someone's got to write the script, and I'm not going to go to the guy who did the English game. What's his name? Uh, Julian, yeah. is it? Oh, uh, the uh, Downton Abbey guy, it's Julian Fellows, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was was basically. Downton United, wasn't it? I think yeah, I, that's what I read about it. I don't watch television. Um, I prefer oh, well. listening to the radio, which is what I'll be doing. And I'll be thinking of you. Um, it'll be like when my grandpa used to watch Man United. He was always, whenever United got the ball, he'd go, they'll lose it. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> they're, they're going to lose it. Um, so yeah. that's what I guess you'll do tonight. And then on Sunday, if we get through. Very much like, like Watson during his time of playing football. It, it wasn't about the colour. Um, it wasn't about, about about him, it was about the quality of the football. And and if England can play with quality uh, in, in the game tonight, then who knows what can, what can happen. So it is about the quality of the football, I think, and, and, and um, not getting caught up in what the red tops are telling everybody is going to happen and not getting carried away. It really needs level heads, feet on the ground, task to do and, and just and just go ahead and take care of that task in front of them rather than you know you see I've seen it too often in the past where players begin to believe their own press and it all goes horribly wrong. Well one thing's for sure we're not going to win in Qatar it's too hot and Brazil are going to win <laughs> We'll see we'll see I, I don't know I think I think Italy are well, we're just we've been mesmerising this tournament they really have Absolutely wonderful. Some of the football they played yeah. has been that first game. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Their very first group game. It's like someone had speeded the film up. It was just astonishing. Italy are as stylish as Roberto Mancini and Luca Viali. If you've got Viali, who literally grew up in a castle, on your staff, you're going to play like aristocrats. So maybe Italy have something about the Corinthians about them, except they're very rich. One of the fallacies about the club that the Corinthians were rich, a lot of them, they, a lot of them weren't. A lot of them were, you know, they're, they're, there were many working class players who played for Corinthians. But having said that, they're one of the richest people in the country played for Corinthians as well. One of the most fashionable uh, uh, people in the country played for Corinthians. I mean, they're, 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 there's another book that, that is in um, uh, that I'm working on um, at the moment with somebody else about individual Corinthians and their life stories and the ones that are most interesting and there are some some, some stories 
to tell on, uh, these people uh, who played for Corinthians or casuals, um, and 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 they need to be told that, that they, these are these are wonderful, like I say, uplifting stories about about people and what they did with their lives, um, and you know everyone's. What is it that old saying? Everyone's got a story. A lot of these stories about those early footballers have been forgotten, as was Watson. So it's 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 time to to start to recognise these people. I think, and it's happening all over the country. There's people are being discovered. I mean, Bill Hearn's book of you know uh, um, black sporting pioneers. There's a lot of research going on in Scotland um, concerning finding graves of ex-Scottish internationals. The Chel- there's a Chelsea group that are doing it for players who played for Chelsea. Um, you know, this, this kind of rediscovery and yeah. research of, of the stories uh, of the players who played for their clubs or for their, their country and elevating them to a, to a status which is deserving after so many, after a century of being lost, should we say. So, I, you know, more power to these, to these groups. I, I, I've just done it with one player at the moment. I've got a few more lined up, but... Um, yeah, everyone's got a story and, and everyone's story needs to be told, I think. And when those stories are in publishable form, uh, the Football Library will have you, Lou Walker, Hugh Walker, uh, back in. Uh, but thank you so much. Uh, have a good season with the youth development at uh, Corinthians and I'll see you down at the thank stadium uh, at some point when you... Well, I won't see you because you'll be writing, um, but I'll, I'll see what Jamie Bracken and the first team are doing. There. I might be there. Yeah, sure. You'd be welcome to come down and have have a look at our our humble home. Thank you. I'll take the attendance up to 301. (laughs) It might be taking it up to 51, but we don't know. It depends who the opposition is. Oh, come on a sunny day. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do.